Come on in to Margaret McSweeney's Kitchen for Kitchen Chat, where every week you'll meet chefs, cookbook authors, foodies, gourmets, and just plain people who love to eat. And along with laughter, chat, recipes, and stories about food, you'll sometimes also hear words of inspiration, love, and hope. As Margaret always says, kitchen chat is food for the senses and food for the soul. So grab a cup of coffee, put your feet up on a comfy chair, and get ready to spend a little time with Margaret and her friends. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kitchen Chat. This is your host, Margaret McSweeney, here on webtalkradio.net, and I am so delighted that you are joining me in my kitchen today. I hope you're having a terrific day. One thing, just wanted to, uh, first of all, welcome the new listeners out there. Thanks for stopping by. It's a great place to hear about latest food trends, hear from cookbook authors, even explore the world from the kitchen counter as, as we speak with, with the food and culinary guides from across the world. So I hope you will learn and keep coming back for second helpings of, of kitchen chat. By way of disclosure, I am not the world's best cook. I am trying to get over my fear of failure in the kitchen. And I so appreciate many of you have sent just encouraging emails and, and messages. So thank you as I pursue my culinary quest and have an interesting update for those who are interested. I actually um, avoided a culinary disaster last night. For some reason, I thought I had purchased a pre-cubed butternut squash, but it turned out to be pre-cubed sweet potatoes. So here I'm following this, this easy soup recipe, had chopped the onions, everything, garlic, everything that was required for, for making the butternut squash soup. And lo and behold, I discover it's sweet potatoes. So instead of feeling like a failure, I turned it into an interesting dish. I said, okay, let's be creative here. Let's follow the regular recipe and, and kind of see what happens. So I've decided to call this new dish the not-so-sweet potato soup, <laughs> and I had a lot of fun, too, in terms of uh, sautéing some tofu, because I, I knew I needed to balance the kind of the saltiness of the not-so-sweet potato soup with, with some type of sweetness, so I got creative again and, and sautéed some tofu, uh, uh, sprinkled, um, what did I sprinkle on it, some cinnamon and ginger, and I sautéed it in coconut water. And it was a really nice balance in terms of kind of a new and, and different dish. So I just wanted to encourage you out there, don't be afraid of failure in the kitchen. Be creative and, and enjoy um, the whole process. Well, today I am just so thrilled to introduce you to our, our first guest. This is going to be a two-segment show and kind of, uh, uh, I guess, around the theme of culinary travel. So we are going to travel today from the kitchen into Italy with this incredible, incredible tour business person, Jens Bowerly, who I'll introduce in a moment, who has uh, discovered and founded this excellent business, new business. And also later in the show, we will 
have a great chat with Rebecca Wheeler, who provides food walk tours here in the Chicago area. So I thought we'd we'd go from Italy to Chicago today, all on a culinary adventure. So without further ado, I would like to welcome our first guest, Jens Bowerly, who is the founder of Gourmet Destinations. Jens, welcome to Kitchen Chat. Good morning, Margaret. Oh, it's so good to have you on the show, and, and I can't wait for you to take us on this culinary tour to Italy, to Tuscany. Is that, is that right? You uh, provide um, wonderful culinary uh, tours throughout Italy. A little bit, an interesting background that I read, Jens, is that you are a former senior executive in international business. And recently, you have started started this new gourmet travel business. Could you briefly share with the listeners this kind of switch in careers and, and what prompted that? Well, that's an excellent question, Margaret. Um, I, I've been in, in this corporate career world in, 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 in international business for quite a number of years. Um, but my real passion has always been in Italy and in the countryside. I enjoyed um, the food. Um, but more than more importantly, I really enjoyed how the food came about and and the, what I call the protagonist, the artisans of um, of this world who make it all happen while we're sitting around the table. And what I admired the most about Italians was always that um, capability of coming together around the table, setting up food in a very simple way, and having a great time no matter what is happening around in the world. So after what about 20 years in the corporate um, career life, I decided that I wanted to go back to what um, my true passion is, and um, I decided to set up Gourmet Destinations. Yes, that is just terrific, and that is a big step. And I think it's an encouragement to the listeners out there who are, you know, in this economy contemplating, okay, what is next? And there could be a great adventure out there for them as well in terms of starting a business. So congratulations on Gourmet Destinations. And and I love the concept, and, and I would like to refer listeners to the website www.gourmetdestinations.com, and I'll make sure I do provide a link on the Kitchen Chat website. And what's fascinating is your concept of really bringing these gourmet travelers to, to, to present to them farm to food travel. Let's discuss farm to food travel, because it really is a, a trend in terms of going back to the organics, the, the farm-to-table uh, concept, and, and not a whole lot of the gourmet, the gourmet travel opportunities out there really focus on taking you from the origin to the uh, end product. Many wonderful culinary um, guides uh, take you to the finest restaurants and that and that's a treat but you take your guest where it all begins could you share a little bit about um, what types of farms you visit and, and the whole concepts that intrigued you about farm to food travel yes um, well I, I haven't mentioned it before so well, but both my wife and I lived for a very long time in Italy. We, As a matter of fact, we still have a place in Florence, in Tuscany, 
And um, what you do when you are an Italian on Sundays and on weekends, you discover the countryside. That is a very typical Italian thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, we did the same. And as I said beforehand, I was always very passionate about it and meeting people and talking to them. So what Gourmet Destinations in, in a nutshell really does is um, we are going to take people to share these experiences with a lot of insider knowledge and a lot of in-depth research in a, in a way that they normally would not be able to experience on their own. That so what would be an example, Jens, of, yes. of something that one of the travelers could anticipate? What would be a, a typical itinerary? Well, for example, we take people to organic farms um, and non-organic farms, but we take them to people who normally are not in the tourism industry. They, they run their everyday business on their farms, but these people are very passionate and they can tell us a lot about why they're doing the things the way they do it, um, why they made the choices in life that they made, and they give us an opportunity to experience and to taste the difference that it makes um, by being more attentive to the way we think about food. That is one example. We go on truffle hunts with a truffle hunter. We are going to meet a chef who will give us a cooking class um, and impart us with his um, ingredients, secret ingredients. We're going also to a private villa dinner um, where we really truly share with Tuscans in a very natural environment an evening to, together just to experience what that actually feels like um, to live the life of a Tuscan. It really is an authentic experience. And I know that your themes uh, that you discuss, they're on your website, authenticity, simplicity, fun, experience, responsi responsibility, and excellence. I, I think you really capture that food travel and, and the essence of that. It's so intriguing, too, and, and looking at your website, and, and perhaps this is one of the artisans, and I love how you refer to the farmers and, and uh, the, the other food people involved in the food industry as artisans. It, it truly is a craft and, and something they espouse and, and live. And in, in, one of, in your website, you discuss uh, pepperita, the organic uh, farm for chili peppers, Yes. And, and how could you share briefly the story about Pepperita and, and the artisans on that farm? Well, Pepper, Pepperita is um, um, a young lady, um, Rita, um, and she um, decided that she wanted to do a farm of organic peppers, um, chili peppers. Um, chili peppers are used very much in Italian cuisine, but um, the, the, normally what you buy in the supermarkets is very industrially pr produced. So mm -hmm. she came up with the theme of, of growing her own um, pepperoncino, as they call it in Italian, so chili peppers. Um, she opened her own restaurant um, based on the subject. Um, and she is producing her own chocolate. Your listeners probably have seen in supermarkets now chocolate that have chili pepper taste. Um, oh. that, that is the kind of chocolate that she also produces. And she's a delightful woman who, who really with a wonderful idea, um, instead of growing wine or, or things where she could make a lot more money, she decided that that is her passion. And um, this is a delightful encounter with such a person. 
Oh, and and what a unique experience for for the travelers to visit a chili pepper farm in in Tuscany. I, I just <laughs> that that just intrigues me that chili pepper, and I did not realize chili peppers are such an essential ingredient in a lot of the Italian in Italian dishes. I, that that really I thought it was mainly garlic, but uh, so what? I guess what types of dishes would chili pepper be featured in? Well, you you do chili peppers um, a lot in pasta, in pasta sauces. Um, You put chili peppers also in um, meats to spice them up. And sometimes you use a little bit of chili pepper in in very small dosages also on fresh cooked fish. Wow. And and is there a difference in taste from the chili peppers there in in Italy and those, for example, in, in Mexico and, and places where I typically think they would be prevalent. Is there a distinguishing taste between the two? Absolutely. Um, the Italian chili pepper is not as sharp and not as spicy as Mexican chili peppers are. It's a, it's a different family. Hmm. Um, and um, I forgot one, one of the places people are probably familiar with chili peppers in olive oil. Um, you put chili peppers into the olive oil bottle, you leave it in there, and that gives it a bit of spice. And um, often pizzas are actually um, sp- sprinkled with olive oil that has the spicy pepperoncino on it. Um, yes, it is different. It is, let's say, for our Western taste or for our North American taste, a little bit more um, acceptable because it's softer and um, gentler. That is intriguing. And and is Italian chili pepper easily available in the markets here in the United States? Or is it a specialty store you need to, to frequent or a special order? Um, well, there are various ways here. You can go to specialty stores. There are many Italian um, shops that carry uh, Italian chili peppers. Um, another good place is also to go to the restaurants um, and ask them where they where they get their chili peppers from. That's a great resource in terms of going to the restaurants to ask where they source it. That, that's great. Well, and I'm so intrigued, too, before we continue this culinary tour, um, about chocolate, pairing chocolate with chili pepper. And yes. so this is what Pepperita has done and is exporting it to the U.S. Um, I don't know if she's exporting it. She's a small business, and, oh, okay. and, and we, we concentrate on on, on um, companies that m- strike us more for their authenticity than for their worldwide reach. But yeah. she does chocolates, um, um, Italian chocolates, so not Belgium or, or French or whatever, but Italian chocolate with 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 spicy flavors. You find similar chocolate also in the United States, um, and it's delicious. It's actually really nice to to pair. The, the sweetness of the chocolate with um, some kind of um, a spicy undertone. Yes, and that seems to be a trend, too, that is taking place with the sweet and the, the spicy pairing. And when the your guests, the, tra- the travelers, uh, visit Pepperita's farm, do you sit down and, and sample uh, some of the food then? Well, generally... No matter where we go, which farmers or purveyors or or um, artisans we we meet, there is time for conversation, for questions, um, and there's also time for a lesson. I give you an example. We we are meeting with a very delightful, very young lady. Um, she learned to um, 
understand the nature of wild herbs from her grandmother and was so passionate about it that she now prepares for us specifically a wild herb salad and she explains all the health benefits of this herb against that herb and what what you have to be considering if you have certain problems in, in your life. And we're sitting together and we, we have a chat and a conversation and it becomes very personal and individual and that is why we travel in small groups of 6 to 12 people because we want to make sure that each individual traveler gets all the attention and all the time necessary to make this really very enjoyable. Oh, that is that is a great combination there. And what about um, the language barrier? Is there a translator on site, or is everything conducted in English or a variety of languages? How, how does that work? Well, this is a huge shift um, in the younger generations of people who work in the countryside a great majority speaks English. However, just to make sure that, um, because English can be, um, as we all know, traveling abroad, English can be a, a variety of shades. Um, we have local um, guides with us throughout the trip, and I personally will be on the trip to make sure that um, nothing gets lost in translation. That is great. That is, and that is so important. Now, I'm intrigued to hear about the private villa dinner. <laughs> uh, describe the, the villa, if you could, uh, where this feast takes place and uh, the participants and, and some of the highlights of the menu. Well, Margaret, um, you catch me out there because, as a matter of fact, in our official itinerary, we don't talk about that private villa dinner because yeah. it is a surprise. Oh. One of the days um, when we are out in the countryside, we, we, we perfected our tour so that really we, we lead our um, guests um, to this villa and make this as a dinner surprise. Oh, how the, the, the lady who is cooking there, depending on the season, is preparing a full Tuscan menu for us. So from starter, which is a pasta dish, there's a little antipasta before that, but then we have a starter dish, which is on uh, based on pasta, um, and then we have some meats, and of course we have some coffee, chocolate, and cheese um, um, at the end of the menu. So it is a full, full menu, but it is a little bit of a surprise, but... Uh, oh. Thanks for um, focusing on this for the moment. I hope that the viewers enjoy um, this little surprise. Oh, that is that is terrific. And another interesting uh, part of your website, which intrigued me, was the discussion of how not only you you go to like the Pepperita Farm, but also to the specialized pig farm. And and the the pigs are so cute. I guess they were uh, formerly endangered. And and could you share a little bit about this specific uh, pig and why it's so important to to get information about that and see that firsthand? Yes, it, this is a very exciting story. In in the 1970s, so not so far in the past, um, the CNA's pig, the pigs that are very peculiar, um, they are smaller than our regular pigs um, that we know of. Um, they, uh, they have a black and white striping, so they are really beautiful to look at. And they are um, very difficult to keep in, 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 um, in, a, in a compound that is very, um, very small. 
So they, they live half wild in, in nature. And because of that, um, in the industrial stages of 70s, 80s, farmers were abandoning them. They were too costly to maintain. Um, the yield, as, even, even in, in, in that world, there is this parlance, the yield was too low. Mm -hmm. And um, literally all farmers abandoned them to the point where they were near um, the point of extinction. Wow. In the 90s, with very few Sienese pigs left, there were a few farmers who took the effort, made the effort and um, took the initiative of um, raising these Sienese pigs again. And today you can see them on some select farms and they are really beautiful to, to see. And we are going to taste as well. They are meats, they are, they are hams, mm. the shaku tree. And it's, it's a very, very interesting experience. Oh, that is intriguing. Now, now, what is the taste difference between uh, the the spe specific um, pig? What does it yield? I mean, is there a, a sweetness, a, a tenderness? What What is the, um, I guess, that je ne sais quoi <laughs> quality about this pig? Well, first of all, there is less fat. Ah. Um, because these... Um, Animals are not raised inside the farm. They they have a huge area. Um, half it has to be half wooded, um, so they eat a lot of nuts and chestnuts and um, 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 corns and and things that are found in nature, um, which may, means that they are they are meat is less sweet. Um, mm. It is much more fiber rich and it is much less fat. It's really delicious to taste. And, and if I put to, next to you a prosciutto made by an, a, a pig as we know it and by a Sienese pig, you would immediately know the difference. That is so fascinating. Oh, And we will do that, actually. Wow. This just sounds like such an intriguing opportunity for those on a culinary quest who are looking for a unique experience and an authentic one to travel with Gourmet Destinations. And uh, you can go online to GourmetDestinations.com to check out the schedule and, and the itinerary. But uh, typically it's seven days, six nights. Uh, at a designated area, and is it uh, Tuscany each time, or do you uh, provide additional tours besides that? Well, for for 2012, we have five trips to Tuscany. Mm -hmm. We are working on an itinerary later in the year to the northeast, uh, northwestern area of Piedmont, mm -hmm. and hopefully, we are going to add more regions in 2013. Wonderful. All in Italy. So to get a taste of Italy, an authentic behind-the-scenes taste from farm to food, I encourage everyone to check out the opportunities with GourmetDestinations.com and the tours that Jens Bowerly uh, personally gets involved in leading and organizing as he is the founder of this great business. Now, real quickly, Jens, is there a favorite dish that that you absolutely love from Tuscany? Well, if you go to Tuscany, um, uh, you probably have to like meat. Um, Tuscans love to eat meat. Um, in the winter months, one of my favorite dishes is actually guinea fowl mm. with artichoke hearts. 
Um, that's um, absolute delight. Um, and with that, you drink a beautiful glass of a, a, a Chianti wine. Um, that is, is, for me, a dish that I could eat a hundred times over. Oh, now what exactly is a guinea fowl? A guinea fowl is, is, a, is a wild bird. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's in the same... Uh, um, yeah, I, I don't have the words for that, but... Um, like a pheasant, or is it large or small? Is it like a quail, or no? It's it's similar to the pheasant. Okay. Um, and it it is very very rich in flavor. Just the, the meat itself, it's tender and rich. Huh. And so th- this is a wild bird then. This is a wild, but you can buy this even here in the United States. You can buy guinea fowl if you go to the markets. Um, in Chicago, there is a market where you can buy that as well. Um, hey, and where in where in Chicago can one find a guinea fowl? Which market? Well, you're catching me out there. Um, oh, market. I'm sorry. <laughs> but um, um. I can, what I can do is, for people who are interested yeah. um, in the, the recipe, I could um, create, a, um, they can send me an email to info at gourmetdestinations.com and I can send the recipe together with the places where in Chicago you can buy guinea fowl. That would be great. That would be How would terrific. That be? Yes, so info at gourmetdestinations.com for those of you who would like the recipe for guinea fowl and the places uh, in the Chicago area where you can find it. And I know many of you are not in the Chicago area, but um, still might be interested in the recipe. Oh, Jens, I have just learned so much. Thank you for this incredible tour of Tuscany. I encourage the listeners to check out gourmetdestinations.com. And the the cost, as I understand, is listed on your website, is a little under $5,000. And that includes seven days and six nights in Tuscany, all accommodations, food, uh, transportation within Tuscany, and uh, all just a, an incredible experience. So thank you so much for being on Kitchen Chat, Jens. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Thank you. As I mentioned on my last show, I have made a public uh, announcement here. One, as, as, as the old listeners know, I am probably the world's worst cook. And the irony does not escape me that I am hosting Kitchen Chat. But, you know, I want to encourage everyone, you're never too old to learn anything. And with that in mind, I am determined to really learn how to cook before my 50th birthday, which is on March 22nd, 2012. So a few months to go, but uh, not very long. So I appreciate all of your encouragement. And in the effort of learning more about food and cooking, I have invited a very special guest today on Kitchen Chat, Rebecca Wheeler. Let me tell you a little bit about her. She has been teaching cooking classes for 10 years. And she earned a master's degree from the University of Chicago with a focus on anthropology and is particularly interested in the link between food, culture, and family. And in addition, she actually leads 
food walk tours here in the Chicago area, and she'll be sharing a little bit about that. Um, also, she travels the world and and has such a keen interest and and great expertise in ethnic cooking. Um, she actually volunteered on an organic farm in Umbria, attended cooking school in northern Thailand, and studied Indian cooking with acclaimed cookbook author and instructor Julie, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly, Sani, and uh, just so many wonderful world travels to discuss as well. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Rebecca Wheeler to Kitchen Chat. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Oh, I'm so delighted you have stopped by in my kitchen, and um, I, I just can't wait to, to to discuss all things culinary with you. I mean, this is amazing. <laughs> a, a world traveler, a, a cook, um, you know, you're teaching cooking, and, um, and also uh, with family, and um, cooking classes, and all sorts of things to discuss. So we'll try to squeeze this into the segment and hope that you'll come back to Kitchen Chat as well. Absolutely. Oh, great. First of all, I would love to hear about the Chicago Food Walks. Um, what, what inspired you to uh, start leading tours, uh, culinary tours in Chicago, and um, how long have you been doing that? Well, um, I've been doing them for about six years, and they really were a natural evolution from my private cooking classes. So I found myself very often meeting my private students over on, say, Argyle Street to talk about how to shop for Thai ingredients. So maybe we were doing a private cooking class about curries or um, somebody's favorite Thai dishes. And it's very difficult to, to cook something like Thai where it, the ingredients may be completely unfamiliar and not talk about where to find these ingredients and what to look for. And knowing that going into a market can often be overwhelming, we would meet first at a Thai or Vietnamese grocery store. And Rebecca, what is Argyle Road? I am not familiar with that. Is so Argyle Street is a it's a it's a street in Chicago. The closest big intersection that Chicagoans would know would be Lawrence and Broadway. Okay. So it's in the heart of Uptown. Some people refer to it as New Chinatown, um, and there is a historical link to the Chinatown south of the city. Um, but Argyle is really a Vietnamese Southeast Asian um, neighborhood, and um, it has a, a history in Chicago going back to the 1970s, but of course, a long immigrant history prior to that with many different um, groups of people coming through. And um, there's just wonderful Vietnamese um, markets and noodle shops and bakeries and um, lots and lots to explore and see and do in the area. And when I would meet my, my private cooking students to shop, we'd often kind of end up stopping for lunch. And it just occurred to me that this would be a great place to do a tour because people are very often understandably intimidated to walk into a big market and, and you start to look around and think, well, where do I start? You know, I need coconut milk or I need fish sauce for, uh, for a recipe. And it's, you, you, you don't even know where to start. So 
my goal with my food walks is really to demystify shopping in markets like that, make it more comfortable, take out the intimidation factor, um, as well as um, introducing people to what I consider to be kind of the the insider gems in the area. So um, where do the hardcore foodies like to go and eat on Argyle Street or on Devon Avenue, which is the Indian and Pakistani um, neighborhood in Chicago? Hmm. Um, and what is a restaurant um, that the foodies like to eat there on um, that area? Um, so on Argyle Street, there's, you know, of course, different people have different preferences, but Tank Noodle is very popular. It's um, It kind of goes by two names, Tank Noodle or Foze Tang. Um, and it's a big noodle shop. Um, they're known especially for what Americans pronounce as pho, but is really technically pronounced more like pho. And how um, do you spell that? Pho? You spell it P-H-O, which is oh. why Americans call it pho. I call it pho as well because I'm American and I don't have the proper Vietnamese intonation, but um, you will hear people call it pho. And it's a Vietnamese beef noodle soup that comes in a huge steaming bowl. It is absolutely the perfect um, winter dreary weather antidote. Um, Or if you're ever under the weather, it's ideal because it's a really nourishing, rich, bone broth um, made from beef and spiced with star anise and um, uh, sometimes cinnamon. I mean, it just has this wonderful aroma that you can smell as soon as you walk into the noodle shop. And it comes with rice noodles and um, very thinly sliced um, steak goes on top, something like a sirloin. It's actually put in raw, but the broth is so hot that it immediately starts to cook it. And then you garnish with bean sprouts and fresh herbs like Thai basil and cilantro, um, some Vietnamese herbs. And then there's a whole process for kind of customizing your bowl with things like sriracha, which is a popular Asian hot sauce and hoisin sauce. And it's, it's a wonderful thing to eat on a food tour because somebody with some experience with it can tell you exactly how to handle this really huge hot bowl of broth and noodles. I mean, even it sounds silly, but even eating this bowl is a little intimidating because you use chopsticks in one hand, spoon in another, and there's a bit of a, a bit of a process to how to tangle it. But the good news is that slurping is definitely allowed (laughs) as is, you know, basically taking it out. (laughs) I know. Well, and my kids do love it. I take them there probably once a week because they love pho and it's um you can kind of just take a tangle of noodles in your chopstick and put it in your mouth and if you know the whole thing doesn't make it in it's not a big deal (laughs) Um, because this is how Asian soups are eaten it's a casual um it's a casual thing you don't have to worry about being you know perfectly dainty with your with your spoon but um people love tank noodle and that's that's a favorite place of mine as well and just to take a quick step back, because I guess you need a dictionary of terms, it sounds like, for, for some Asian cooking. And you mentioned some ingredients. I have no clue what they are. Um, the star, star anise or something, what, what yes. you mentioned before. What, how do you spell that, and, and what exactly is that? So um, star anise, is, so it's, 
star, and then anise is A-N-I-S-E, and it's shaped just like a star. It's a beautiful spice. Um, It's probably technically a pod. I mean, all spices are dried seeds, bark, rhizome. Um, They're all in that family. And so it's dried and it um, has usually like five points at least. It's really beautiful. It has a distinctly anise type of a smell. So it's very aromatic. Um, It's also in Chinese five spice, which is a blend of five different spices. It's used in Chinese cooking. Again, very warm sort of aromatic spices. So um, star anise is wonderful this time of year because it just, like I said, it's sort of a warming, sweeter spice. And it's, um, it's typical in the broth that's used for, for pho. And do you like um, grind it or put it in whole like a clove of garlic? I'm, I'm just trying to envision this. You put it in whole when you make the broth, much like if you're making chicken broth or something, you would put in um, a bunch of thyme or some peppercorns that would later be strained out. Okay. Okay. Interesting. And then you also mentioned another ingredient that intrigued me, Thai basil. What is the difference between, you know, the basil you see at the the local grocery store um, versus Thai basil? Well, um, Thai basil is, again, it actually has a pretty distinctive anise flavor to it. Not overpowering. It still has the nice delicate flavor that you kind of find with regular Italian basil. Um, But it's very popular in Thailand, Vietnam, um, throughout Southeast Asia. And um, in Vietnam, they use a lot of fresh herbs. And it's not uncommon to just have what you might think of as a table salad, just a heaping platter of fresh herbs on the stem, fresh uh, big stems of Thai basil, cilantro, um, special specific Vietnamese herbs that you can find in the markets down on Argyle Street, heaps of bean sprouts, fresh lettuce. And these things would either be, the leaves would be plucked off of something like Thai basil and put into your soup or... um, a lot of Vietnamese dishes will um, make use of rolling. So you might take a lettuce leaf and wrap it around, say, a spring roll and put a couple herbs in there and kind of eat it as a bundle. Or you might roll up pieces of meat. Um, but herbs are really prominent on the Vietnamese table. And um, the Thai basil is used as well. In, in Thai cooking, of course, there's um, a stir-fry dish called Thai basil chicken or Thai basil beef um, that has a big handful of Thai basil. So it's put in the stir fry at the last minute to kind of just lightly wilt, but the flavor is really wonderful. So it can be used raw, it can be used cooked, um, but it is um, distinctly unique enough on its own that I typically will not substitute Italian basil for Thai basil, I just will omit it if I don't have Thai basil. Um, luckily, with Thai food being so popular, it's you can actually sometimes find Thai basil at places like Whole Foods now or specialty stores. Um, you can, of course, find it in in um, Asian markets typically, um, but you can just omit it if you can't find it for a recipe. 
Okay, so or go to Argyle Street and and take one of yes. these food walk tours. This is just fascinating, and and so you just discovered these um, markets and and wonderful places on your own. I mean, have you have have you been in Chicago for a long time, or how did all that happen? Well, I lived in Edgewater, which is. Um, on the north side of the city near Loyola University and it's a pretty big neighborhood in the city and uptown is just adjacent to Edgewater. So for for years and years I lived about three blocks from Argyle Street and um, would walk there and shop there on a regular basis and um, then when we moved within Edgewater I lived just off of Devon Avenue. So for 15 years I've lived in the Edgewater neighborhood, which I kind of considered like a incredible epicenter of ethnic cooking. We have, um, you know, close proximity to Devon Avenue in the Indian Pakistani neighborhood, close proximity to Argyle street with the Vietnamese area. We have amazing, um, Ethiopian restaurants in Edgewater. We have large Hispanic, uh, community. So there's just a lot going on in the North side of Chicago that's interesting. And so for, for those 15 years that I lived there, this is kind of where I shopped and, um, you know, did, would go out to eat with friends and family. And, um, we recently moved to Evanston, um, which has been wonderful for our family, but my children still go to school in Rogers park. So I'm still in the city pretty much on a daily basis shopping and cooking and and doing everything that I've done for years. I mean, that's, that's like my, that's the heart and soul of what I do is meeting store owners, getting to know them, eating there, shopping there, supporting their businesses, because that's what, that's what excites me and interests me. Like yesterday I was in one of my favorite markets, tracking down Mexican chocolate to make a mole this weekend. So, um, which market was that? What's your favorite market for Mexican um, ingredients? Well, it's, it's a Cuban owned grocery store called La La Unica, U N I C A. It's Mm -hmm. on Devon Avenue near Clark. And it's just like a gem of a store. I mean, it has a lot of ingredients you would need for Mexican cooking, of course, for Cuban, but it has an attached lunchroom that you would typically not know is there, um, but it's a type of place that cops and firefighters know about. And of course, um, you know, local people who live around that area, the food is amazing. It's like the real deal, um, homemade Cuban food, Cuban, and they have some Mexican and um, I think maybe even a little bit of like Peruvian, but the food's fantastic. Unfortunately, I didn't have time to eat yesterday. I was dashing in for the Mexican chocolate. (laughs) But um, for me, this is the most, you know, exciting and um, gratifying part about living in Chicago. It's our neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. And um, I never get tired of exploring them. And that is just so neat. And and just so our listeners know, please visit Rebecca's website, RebeccaWheeler.com. And um, you have a tab there about your Chicago food walk. So for those listeners in the area or for those traveling to the area and interested in a Chicago food walk with Rebecca, definitely contact her. And, and you take up to eight people, is that right, per food walk? Yes. 
great. And it's really just a private culinary walking food tour. That That is just so exciting. And what was the um, place that, that you took a group which – they were just most amazed by. I mean, that they, they were like shocked to see this within Chicago and, and uh, <laughs> put it on a must revisit <laughs> list. Well, I mean, I think that probably every person that's been on one of the food walks would have their own input as to what, you know, was really exciting and, and interesting to them. Um, overall, a lot of people find that they just, are much more comfortable going back and exploring more on their own or returning to a place that they were particularly, you know, into. Um, I do get a lot of feedback that on the Argyle Food Walk, people return to uh, Ballet, which is a Vietnamese bakery sandwich shop place that we visit on the tour. And we have a Vietnamese sandwich, um, which is called Ban Mi. We learn about the history. How do you spell Banmi? Banmi is spelled B-A-N-H and separate word Mm M-I. And they are these wonderful um, Vietnamese sandwiches. And we learn all about the connection between those sandwiches and um, your traditional sort of Parisian baguette sandwich, Mm -hmm. which has to do with the French colonialization of Vietnam and the culinary influences that they left behind that are still a very important part of Vietnamese cuisine in general. And the sandwiches are delicious. They're very affordable. They're, I think, $3.50 or $3.75 per sandwich. And I think a lot of people end up going back um, again and again. And a lot of people end up going back again and again to Tank Noodle as well. Mm -hmm. Um, On the Devon Avenue food walk, um, a lot of people are excited about the Pakistani barbecue place that we visit. And they, for the first time, they may be seeing a tandoor oven and um, we get to go into the kitchen and actually see the, the guys cooking and see what that looks like and, learn about, um, you know, some of the the differences between Pakistani and Indian food. And so I think that people really enjoy that stop in particular. But um, for each tour, you know, it's it's fun to get feedback from people on what what they liked in particular. And in Chinatown, it might be something different um, from from on Argyle Street. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I enjoy hearing what people, especially when they're returning to an area, um, I like to hear about where they go and what they do and what they eat. <laughs> but it's so neat that you help everyone get over the intimidation of of an ethnic cuisine and, and, and just giving them a behind-the-scenes tour and getting them comfortable with with um, you know the names and what they mean in terms of like bam mi and uh, mm-hmm. uh, the ingredients and 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 just really uh, it sounds like you give give people such an ease of uh, returning, which is great and and to explore on their own as well. Yeah, so that That's is definitely terrific. definitely the goal. Yes. Um, I I really want people to walk away with um, an excitement about coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, and about, you know, if certainly not everybody on my food walks, um, are 
cooks. A lot of people just want to explore a neighborhood or they're just um, interested in eating, which is great. For those people that are interested in cooking, I really want them to have a sense that you know, you are welcome in these markets. People are happy to help you. Here's how you can go about getting the assistance you need, mm-hmm. finding, you know, ingredients. And um, I want them to feel, you know, excited and ready to come back and do their shopping so that they can go home and and learn more about whatever cuisine it is that we're, you know, that we're talking about. Because every ethnic cuisine has um, recipes that are approachable and within reach for any home cook, the the difference often is that your you know the the challenge I should say is how do I get these ingredients? Yeah. Um, but we have access to all of that in Chicago. If you live anywhere near Chicago, you have access to everything you could need to make just about any world cuisine, and that's what's so exciting. Um, and in all of these neighborhoods, Chinatown, Devon Avenue, and Argyle Street you have um, local communities of of Chinese or Pakistanis or Vietnamese people that are driving from, um, you know, it could be hundreds of miles away to come and shop in these um, neighborhoods on the weekends in particular. So, um, for example, I talked to a young Pakistani man who was on one of my tours, and he said his parents drive from Minneapolis um, every few months to buy their meat on Devon Avenue. And that's pretty far away, but it's not uncommon at all for people to drive from Indiana or Michigan um, to go shop on the weekends to stock up on what they what they need. So we're really at sort of an epicenter of um, ethnic food, which is great news for people who are really interested in cooking. Yes, and speaking of those people who are interested in cooking, I love that on your blog you list some recipes. So there's a Thai banana fritters, <laughs> and uh, you provide the recipe and even a picture, and, and I guess you serve it over Haagen-Dazs vanilla ice. Yeah. <laughs> sounds great. Right. <laughs> Along with some good farmer's market honey that, uh, that you mentioned. And so you, you really make things accessible. I would never, you know, have realized, oh, wow, this is a, a, a Thai dish and, and influenced with the Southeast Asian uh, cuisine. And um, so this is great. So I encourage everyone to to visit her blog as well on RebeccaWheeler.com and, and get some insights into that as well. I am so intrigued. And we just have so many things to talk about. I, I really hope you will come back on Kitchen Chat. But I was so intrigued, Rebecca, to read that in 2009, you were awarded the Barbara Tropp Memorial Internship in Beijing, China by women chefs and restaurateurs. How did that happen? And is, is this just kind of, um, I guess, um, something that culminated uh, your interest in southeastern Southeast Asian cooking, or you were doing this well before then, and that was just the icing on the cake, or, or how did that <laughs> come about? Um, well, I had been a member of Women Chefs and Restaurateurs for several years, and they have an amazing internship program where every year they offer um, dozens of internships to um, women in the culinary field, everything from a front of the house internship where you might be um, learning more of the service side 
of the restaurant business to internships that are specifically focused on perhaps wine or organic farming. I mean, it, it's a very broad spectrum. Um, and they offer usually just a few internationally based internships. And um, I had sort of been keeping my eye on on the the possibilities because, I mean, the incredible thing is, you know, somebody donates their time or money um, to make these opportunities possible for young women um, and actually women of all ages. But um, typically, you know, it's like you're looking to fill a niche in terms of broadening your culinary education. <laughs> so they, they offer these opportunities and um, they're out there for women to apply for and um, take advantage of. Um, many different organizations do this and it's it's really wonderful, but um, I applied in 2009 because I was looking to expand from the Devon Avenue Food Walk and the Argyle Food Walk to Chinatown, and I found that when I travel to sort of the the mother country, right. <laughs> um, so when I went to Thailand and went to Vietnam, it just provides a context um, in terms of my learning that there's really no substitute for. So no matter how much I study in cookbooks or study with, say, a Thai chef here in Chicago or an Indian cookbook author, um, there's really no nothing like traveling to India or China to enhance what I know and can share with others on my food walks. Um, and I'm always trying to kind of act as like a cultural ambassador to help people learn about the area, learn about the immigrant history, learn about the cooking and the ingredients. Um, but I'm not Indian and I don't speak Hindi. So um, where I feel my strengths are is kind of bridging the gap to help people understand how to make Indian cooking more accessible in your own American home kitchen. Right. So I kind of translate these things, um, but I need to have an understanding of the culture, and I need to have immersed myself to some degree um, in the country and the people and the flavors and, you know, the sights and the smells. So the China internship was just an incredible opportunity to do that. And I um, spent a week in Beijing cooking in a cooking school, helping to um, run their events and assisting the chefs and going to the market with the chefs. And then I traveled on my own um, with my husband for a couple weeks after that and went and visited local cooking schools in China, um, went and visited um, where they make traditional uh, cooking paste, you know, just really getting into the nitty gritty to learn as much as I could in, in that amount of time that I was there. Um, so it's it really enhanced my Chinatown tour, my understanding of the culture and the cuisine, and um, was just a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. So you really bring an authenticity and uh, your own experiences from having traveled to these places to the food walk tours. I think that's amazing, and it's also so neat how you're tying in your master's degree from University of Chicago and and relating uh, culture uh, to food. And um, there's a tab, listeners, on RebeccaWheeler.com, the website, uh, click travel. And she just has these beautiful pictures and discussions about her culinary travel. I just think 
oh, we, there's so many things to talk about here. <laughs> Another thing that just intrigued me, and, and I, I would love to do a show one day, too, uh, about um, the female chefs. I just, I just think, you know, that I think that is so neat, and I'm glad to hear about this organization, Women Chefs and Restaurateurs, which... Um, it covers a worldwide uh, opportunity there. But a couple of things I should mention, your professional kitchen experience includes Trotters to Go on the pastry team and Trio Restaurant uh, as an extern under acclaimed chef, Grant Atches. That, that's just so amazing that you've had such an excellent experience with that. <laughs> And uh, uh, one another thing that really intrigued me, and I, I know we're short of time here, but I, part of Kitchen Chat, we have a, um, a little subtitle, Kitchen Chat, Food for the Senses and Food for the Soul. And you just provided incredible food for the senses. And I can't wait to, um, first of all, sign up for a, a tour with you, but uh, learn and explore Argyle Street and, and the markets there. But one thing that really touched my heart in looking at your website, Rebecca, is that um, you really reach out um, charity-wise uh, um, to, what is it, a, for some youth at risk, uh, Blue Sky Inn, you're a board member of Blue Sky Inn. Oh, yeah. Profit Bakery, dedicated mm -hmm. to serving at-risk youth. Um, could you just share just a little tidbit about that and that organization? Sure. Um, well, Blue Sky Bakery um, provides job training program for homeless youth, and um, they do a 12-week program in the kitchen, actually baking for the bakery. It's very often their first job um, experience, and that really is the goal, is to give them some concrete skills, some actual job training, and um, whether they actually go on to do something in the culinary field um, really isn't the main concern. The main concern is to help give them the skills um, and give them that first sort of stepping stone to help them then move on to um, to a, a paying job. So um, it's a wonderful program. And uh, incidentally, the food is wonderful at the bakery, very delicious uh, pastries that they turn out. And also we have a catering program. So it's a great place um, to get like a corporate lunch catered or a bridal shower or something like that. And it's um, the bakery is on Lincoln near Addison in the city. Um, so I've been involved with that board for just about a year now. Um, we also sell pastries at a couple of area farmers markets, which, um, you know, have just wound down for the season. But the youth um, uh, uh, sell the pastries at the farmer's market along with staff member or board member from Blue Sky. And um, they're in the kitchen learning the, the concrete skills that come out of being in a kitchen, which, of course, are, are many. It's a, it's a great um, place to, you know, learn some of the essentials for interacting with other people. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, all of the basic critical things. Um, that, that come with learning how to be job ready. Right. Um, and right. I'm also on the board of the American Institute of Wine and Food, and I co-chair a program that helps educate uh, middle school children about food and nutrition, um, farming, and some practical kitchen skills as well. So that's, that's a lot of fun. I like 
working with kids very much. Oh, and that will be a whole new topic of discussion for another show. There's just so much <laughs> to learn from you, Rebecca, <laughs> and, and I can't oh, wait thanks. to hear on a future segment, which we definitely will have listeners, is uh, tips for moms, you know, because you are balancing so much, you know, all of your professional um, you know, explorations and um, um, commitments, as well as having a family at home and, and preparing yeah. food. And, and I know that is just the heart and soul of you as well in terms of um, uh, good good food and en- enriched food. Definitely. And um, that, that's so important for, for growing kids. So we will have another <laughs> segment, future segment for Kitchen Chat on that. But thank you so so much, Rebecca, for being on Kitchen Chat and sharing some highlights about your food walk tours in the Chicago area. Um, I encourage everyone go to RebeccaWheeler.com. Check that out. Check out some of the uh, the recipes on the blogs and um, uh, her culinary travels. You will just explore this website for for a long time. It's just t- terrific and. Rebecca, thank you again, and um, wish you all You're the You're welcome. It's my and, pleasure. Yes, look forward to, to staying in touch. And and a real quick um, note is Wendy Lynn, who is the founder of the Paris Kitchen and, and um, provides the culinary tours in, in Paris, was the one that connected us. So a big <laughs> shout-out thank you to Wendy Lynn for uh, connecting me with you. Rebecca, and I look forward to learning even more and signing up for one of your cooking classes so I can meet my deadline of learning how to cook <laughs> before my <laughs> Definitely. I can day. help you get that underway. That will be great because I need confidence and competence <laughs> in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much, listeners, for tuning into this show. I love to hear from you, so please keep those questions and comments coming my way on Uh, the Kitchen Chat Show here on webtalkradio.net. And I hope you all enjoy um, just a special time of year as the holidays are approaching and wishing you and your family all the best as you gather in the kitchen. And during those special moments of gathering together, remember everyone, savor the day. Thank you for joining us today. If you're interested in Margaret's books, A Mother's Heart Knows, Pearl Girls Encountering Grit, Experiencing Grace, and Go Back and Be Happy, please just click on the covers on the webtalkradio.net page in front of you. Margaret would love to connect with you and hear from you, so join her on Twitter, Facebook, her blog, or click on this website to leave a note and share a recipe. Thank you again, and we'll see you here again for a new show next week.